Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all once again on this Tuesday, um, September the 22nd of 2020. As you can tell, time is flying by. The days are getting shorter and shorter, and we are entering. We are in the last days, but we are entering the end of time. We are entering a what we call the frontier, where everything is going to culminate. <clears throat> And that's very, very soon to come, my brothers and sisters. And so that's why we we believe that this is such an important time for us to study the Word of God. And we take the time to let you know that we we thank God that you are tuning in and that you can spend this time together with us studying uh, the Word of God with a prophetic lens. You know, we have been in an interesting um, and in an interesting journey, uh, especially in these last two podcasts, just I was meditating this morning on on what God has been saying, at least what he's been speaking to me uh, this last Friday and this Monday. And on Friday, uh, the the podcast was on the really the making or, or the process or the development of a servant of God and, 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 and all that it entails. And I, I thought it was, I thought God was speaking to to his servants. He was speaking to you, to me, and and how this takes place, how not to get comfortable, complacent where you are, and how God wants to take you deeper. And then Monday, uh, the, the podcast was really on, uh, to me, the way uh, many, many of the things that were said, but spoke about the character of the servant of God and, and how how David quickly learned from his mistakes, quickly learned and, t- and the lessons that he learned and he applied, you know. So it, it's been very insightful the way the Lord has been speaking to us to encourage us, to exhort us. And so, you know, I've I just been really blessed with all the podcasts, but these two have been, uh, I, I think it, it's, it's the Lord speaking to us. So I believe that today, saying all of this, I believe today on this Tuesday, God has more to say to us. We have more to glean from the Word of God and the actions and, 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 and everything that happened while the Ark of God, as David brought it back uh, to his house. Today in our panel, we have uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando joining us. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to study the Word of God together. So at this time, I'll leave it to you, Brother Marty, to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to get right into our study today, and and uh, and and we'll discuss some of the things you just said, Brother Jeremy. We're, we're really, really a blessing to, to hear what you were saying, and and we'll look at those things. Uh, I wanted to point something out on what you just said, uh, but let's let's get in right into the Word. Uh, we're going to begin again, coming to you from First Chronicles, uh, chapter thirteen, verse twelve through fourteen, and then uh, chapter fourteen. Verse 1, and we'll begin our study. We encourage you to have your Bibles. As always, as Brother Jeremy said, it is an honor and a great privilege to uh, to look into the word of, of the one and only living God. And in Jesus' name, Brother Jeremy, would you read those scriptures to us, please, as we begin? Amen. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside 
into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittites. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him a house. Praise God. <laughs> uh, he sent messengers to David. Praise the Lord. With masons and carpenters to build him a house. Um, uh, let's let's talk about those things. And, and and that phrase, he sent messengers to David. He sent messengers to David. That, that's that's an incredible thing. But we'll get into that in a minute. Like uh, because in it, like Brother Jeremy was just reading, David was afraid of God, and that blows my mind to start with. That uh, that we have such casual attitudes in the modern day church, right? But this great king. He 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 had he was of such a quality that he knew uh, this fear uh, was was it, it flowed out of his heart. That's who he was. He was afraid of God precisely because he didn't understand God, and he knew that what he had just seen displayed before him, which was the striking down of Uzzah, who put his hand to the ark when it when the oxen stumbled and turned aside. It. it it, it did two things to David, which we discussed yesterday. It, it displeased him in verse 11, it says. But really that word is, is anger uh, or, or kind of like an amazement. And David was, was, was angry, but he wasn't angry at God. As we dug into it yesterday, we saw that he was angry at himself. And, and we encourage you to go back and listen to yesterday's podcast about why that was. And 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 it's it's that it's that anger that he felt that gave way to a fear. What do you do? Oh man. <laughs> what do you do when you think that you've done everything the right way and that you're doing it the right way? That's like King David. And then a failure occurs. This is more than a failure, right? This is this is Uza dying, man. But yet that feeling is common to all of us, our reaction. If you have truly sought God like David was seeking God, and, and you find that, that all that you did, everything leading up to that crisis moment, you know, to use a modern phrase, resulted not in life, but in death. And his response, if you haven't experienced that in your own walk with God, then you're limited in where God is taking you. And, and there must be those moments of crisis. In these particular historical stories that we're reading here, um, the, the applications for them not only pertain to ourselves as individuals, but in the much larger context they pertain to prophetic times and prophetic things although god has had us in the last couple of sessions really reflecting on the personal i think it's the same here we'll go in and out of, of comparing uh what we what we uh continue to glean um 
but but we're primarily sensing God wanting to work on us. So one thing that Brother Jeremy said before I go on in what we where we're headed is is what he said at the beginning of our podcast, Brother Jeremy, really blessed me because it shows your quality and it shows a, a maturity in the Lord. And it also shows and reveals to maybe some of us out here that are listening to these podcasts, um, something that we haven't really gotten in the modern day church or in our experiences in quote unquote church in the church setting. The people aren't encouraged to, to do what, what you said. You said this, you said, you know, what God has been speaking to me when you were describing the podcast. And, and a statement like that can go by really easily and people, you know, and people not notice what you said. But it's very true, brother. And it's very wise. Because when we hear the word of God, are we hearing a teaching? Are we gaining information about, you know, fascinating prophetic events? Are we learning subject matter on any particular kind of doctrine? Or are we, like you said, Brother Jeremy, are we hearing God talk to us individually? Because if we're not, then it's not the word. And and and, and I want to ask you this. Do we listen for what God is saying? And how we hear the word is 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 vital. Remember what the Lord said in the parable of the sower when he concluded his thoughts in the different gospels. He said, uh, "Take heed how you hear." You remember that? <laughs> yeah. Take heed how you hear. For with what measure you meet, he said, it shall be measured unto you again. And then he goes on in another place. The Lord Jesus said and said, uh, "For uh, to him that." hath shall more be given right and to him that hath not shall even that which he does have be taken from him and you could pretty much sum up the christian walk or or the 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 judeo-christian walk in those two statements like the lord said so he admonished us to hear uh to take heed how we actually hear the word and and why that jumped out to me brother dave uh brother brother david brother jeremy is because of of what I believe God wants to talk to us about today when we get down to it. Because when David lost possession of the ark in the sense that it it was delayed in coming to the the capital city and he took it aside to Obed-Edom's house, the last question that we hear him asking is in verse 12, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? I think we could look at it a couple ways. One, he was shocked by the event. So he's and 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 then he he goes into an immediate kind of uh, accelerated emotional state. You know those moments when sudden uh, events take place, and it's it's the human condition. But 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 thoughts flood your mind. You know, so you can take it from that perspective and, and him him just saying, you know, how am I going to bring the ark to me? How can I? You know, as he was confronted with himself, he, he was angry with himself. What did I do wrong? You know, it cost the life of a man. <clears throat> but also in it, I think, in that distress was what we're what we're exploring today is is the question that he asked, how shall I bring the ark home to me? I've tried it this way, you know. And that didn't work out too good. So that reminded me of what you said, Brother Jeremy, 
what God has been speaking to you. It's the same with me, Brother Fernando, and I know many people because we've heard from you out there, that the Word of God is beginning to really uh, penetrate the heart and beginning to cause us to self-reflect and to understand that the Word of God is God speaking to us. And if that's the right. case, we better pay attention, right? <laughs> so so I think it I think sets, the tone, sets the tone for what we're about to discuss. Go ahead, brother. <clears throat> You know, uh, what, what came to my mind as, as you were speaking, Brother Marty, is how that, that's one of the most difficult things to do. And, and I think um, one of you said it uh, yesterday, I think either outside of the podcast or before or during, what do you do <clears throat> when you build something that God never told you or you do something that God never told you to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... And, and, and what happens is that that is very, it's a difficult to come to the place to admit, you know what, what I did was wrong. I was hearing the case of a particular pastor who, who started out humbly and, and the Lord began to bless his congregation. This is, a, this is a secondhand testimony that somebody gave me. And he was telling me how the Lord began to bless and, and there was a presence there where they would just see God and God was moving. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the pastor passed away. His son took over. And his son tried to take it, you know, deeper. And he began to make these projects and all of this, you know, and mm-hmm. saying, God is going to, we're going to build a 2,000, you know, seat, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but but just it, it, there was a different motive in it. Not that it's wrong to have a church, but what I'm saying, it was a different motive to it. And he says, now that church was only half built and it never became but in that we lost he says what we had and and that's very difficult when a shepherd or a minister comes and says you know what what i've been preaching what i've been doing you know see because you can't even you cannot even ask that question how shall i bring unless you make a like what you're talking about a self-analyzation right or Mm -hmm. is that the correct word a self, yeah. uh, you know, analyzation of, of your life. And, man, you know how hard it is to go to the congregation and say, maybe, you know, what I've done. You know, that's the hardest thing. But that's what mm-hmm. God honors. And that's what God honored. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But that's what God honored about David is that, yeah. yes, he made a mistake. Yes, he, you know, he did things that, that caused, you know, and, and it pained him. It displeased him. It, it, You know, he was frustrated with himself. But at the same time, he didn't stay there. He said, but there, since if I did it wrong, there is a correct way to do it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's just all the thoughts that are going through my mind as you're saying that, Brother Marty. No, that's, that's good. Um, yeah, you said so much there. You know, when you think about it, um, what you were talking about, the quality of David and what we can learn from David the man. And, and you said you, you can't even ask that question, how shall I bring the ark, which is representative of the presence of God, into my house, unless you have uh, that quality to, to ask the question. Uh, and that seems interesting to me because <clears throat> the Holy Spirit inspired those reflections, right? Those meditations, those thoughts, what, what we have recorded here in Scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired David to ask the question, how? How do I do this? And 
and and the reflection uh you know that that the holy spirit gives the second part to that is will we yield to what he's going to unfold to us when he asks us a question or when he inspires us to think a question any of you who have have at all had experience with god you know that that uh in your study of the word in your meditations on god there are thoughts and questions that come to your mind that are that are prompted by the spirit of god I love what I see and I and I draw strength from it though we couldn't walk in the shadow of King David by any means let alone the Lord but I love what I see in his in the way he is pliable in the hands of God He's not perfect by any means we know his history we know what he did we know what he messed up we know his highs his lows his great you know from his from his victory in the valley of Elah over the giant uh, to his great failure that night, he walked on the rooftop of his house of, uh, when he should have been out to war and all that happened as a result of that. Um, to the many other things that he experienced in his life, I take I take just from David the man, I take strength from it because we can learn from, from it. And, and that's what we were just saying, Brother Jeremy, what you were just saying. David was the kind of man who, who responded to the presence of God he was quick to repent. He was quick to admit when he was wrong. These were all Holy Spirit-inspired reflections on his innermost being. And and unlike most of us, David actually yields <laughs> to the Spirit of God. And and, uh, and and that sounds like it's an easy thing to do, but it's not as easy as we think. Because God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. When he interjects thoughts into us, it, it it's almost like it's almost like he's able to convey a whole bunch of information with one impression by his holy spirit within our hearts and minds and if you try to describe what he's told you it might take you days <laughs> this is the kind of inspiration we're talking about but and and then you also you, you use that story as as a foundation to to say what you were saying about the the older generation uh, passing away and the new generation coming and and what he did and how much it cost that that body of believers um the, all of those things are, that reminded me of the new cart right that they were trying to bring the ark out because mm-hmm. we know that <clears throat> we came out of Abinadab's house uh, and and it was, they were like the third generation, these uh, Uza and Ohio people that, that drove the ark in a new cart, and it cost everything. But like we discussed yesterday, and, and uh, you know, King David was made king by all of Israel. <clears throat> and, and the big divide or the breach between the house of Saul and his loyalists, you know, after he passed away, uh, they, they made Ishbosheth the king. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Abner uh, protected him, uh, the great general who David highly respected. But but that that division between the loyalists for the house of Saul and 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 David's house was healed. And and after seven years, uh, they gathered to him and 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 uh, and sought to make him king over all Israel. This was the moving of the spirit. And so David was moved to lead. But this is what you're talking about was the emotion of it. It's an emotional time for him, you know, and and uh, and yet our, our assumptions, like you said, we assume 
when God didn't tell us anything, right? We hadn't sought God. Even though David said in First Chronicles chapter 2, when he's talking to all Israel, he says, David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seems good unto you, and it be the it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad. That's the only time he mentions the Lord in the whole process. You know, it's kind of like when we say, you know, we're going to do this, Lord willing, you know. <laughs> it was almost like that. Because he assumed, he assumed, right, <laughs> in that. And, and, uh, and, and so the emotion of it, in the moving to lead, we, we need to be cautious here. I'm starting to sound like a, a pastor, God forbid. <laughs> but we, need to be, we need to be cautious here, right, what our emotions can do to us. The emotions and the assumptions and, and, the, and the intent on the surface uh, seemed good. Right. right. Right? And this is a danger that we learn from here. Because um, later on, like you said, David was the kind of man who would admit what he did, and then he would go learn or learn exactly how to fix it, how to rectify it. And that's what that question is, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So the emotion of this, you know, he sought to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to the capital city, Jerusalem. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. Man, we're in our second week of trying to bring this Ark to Jerusalem, and we haven't actually got it there yet. <laughs> so right. it, it hung out in Obed-Edom's house for three months. So, you know, uh, we're not going to be here three months. Oh, God forbid. I don't know. We might if the Lord wants us to. But, uh we're in our second week here talking about this bringing of the ark. And why? Because it's important. That's why. And I think what you said, Brother Jeremy, what is God speaking to us? He wants to bring his presence to his church in a way that we haven't seen in a generation. It was 70 years, right, that the ark had been taken captive and gone from one place to another uh, until it finally came to rest in Beshemesh and then kirjath Jerem. And, uh, and and there it sat for about 22 more years. But but we have seen many prophetic parallels with these events that happened to David and, and our times. And, and here's something I want to just review real quick. Remember what David did, because I think what we're seeing in our times right now, and like I said, I don't want to too much harp on parallel prophetic times yet, you know, unless the Lord leads us that way. But let's just look at this really quick. David went to take the presence of God and bring it to to Jerusalem. The presence of God for them at that time was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. It had been separated from the tabernacle of Moses, which was in, in, in Gibeon, in the mountains. And it's interesting to me that all that time, they never took the presence and placed it back in the Holy of Holies, where it belonged. And neither does it seem that there was any zeal by any of the other priests throughout those decades to come get it and say, hey, Abinadab, it belongs over here. Nobody did it. And then in the times of Saul, David said, "We didn't even we didn't even care. No one inquired at it. No one sought God in those days." And and so here we are, right? So in that interim, what we see, if you want to look at prophetic parallels for our time, what's happening right now is he goes to the house of Abinadab to retrieve it. We know that the house of Abinadab means the place of nobility, and we talked about that. It, it, it speaks of a royalty or an entitled ruling religious elite, which is what they had become. My goodness, they had the ark, right? 
And then in Uzzah, which whose name means strength, it, it means the flesh. And when you see the ark coming out from the house, we saw how Uzzah tries, he walks to the side of it. He's trying to guide the presence. He tries to guide the ark. And, and so he represents that ruling religious elite from generation to generation, kind of like the story you told with the brother who, whose daddy passed away, and then he thinks he's going to go out and build this new cart, right? This big 2,000-seat auditorium or whatever it was. And he failed miserably. It wasn't what God told him to do. It cost him everything, they said. Right. So Uzzah represents strength or the strength of man, the flesh, the arm of the flesh. And he tries to guide the ark. He tries to guide the presence. That's what's been happening over the last several decades. And we harp on the United States of America because it is the central hub from which all uh, pseudo-gospel and false doctrine has been flowing throughout the entire world, making drunk the nations of the world with the wine of its diluted gospel. It's brought a spell on the nations. Brother Jeremy mentioned about <clears throat> uh, reading uh, the top five, what is it, top 15 out of the top 15 preachers. Uh, I can't yeah, believe top it. 10. It was top yeah. 10, the, the top 10 richest pastors in the world. And surprisingly enough, uh, at least it surprised me, five of the top 10 preachers are in Africa, you you wouldn't have thought, no offense, but you wouldn't have thought it would come from there, but it's <laughs> pastors who have received and, and, and who, who are looking up to this prosperity preachers, and now yeah. they're milking them, and that that was just telling to me. It is telling, brother, and that, that, that lays credence to what we were just saying. They learned it from here. They learned it from the preachers yeah. in the United States, and we gave some examples on Friday of, of the places we've been in Africa ourselves. I can't tell you, brothers, not that I'm some noble guy. Let me tell you, it was a temptation to me. But even when I was over there preaching a hard word, and you know some of the word I preached over there in those crusades and on television and stuff over in Africa, I can't tell you how many times we were offered things. The last time I was there, they were talking about offering me an, an, an ambassador at large from the nation of Uganda to come and, and, uh, and, and cut business deals and promote a business enterprise in Uganda. They were going to give me a special status. I was in Burundi. My wife and I and our children, I met with the president of the nation. Uh, he heard me preach on a Saturday night. Uh, there was about 100,000 people there. And and uh, I preached on uh, John the Baptist anointing Jesus and, and how Jesus Christ is, is, the, is the son of the living God. And there's no other way to God. But the, in contrast to Muhammad, the false prophet, which was sweeping throughout Africa at the time, you know, and the power of God hit those crusade grounds. Well, that opened up a, a door. There were several preachers there, but but he asked if I would come and my wife would come to his house. And so they made arrangements and we came to visit him. And while I was sitting there, uh, we were developing and, and building a, a, a television channel in, in Kampala, Uganda. And he, he heard about it and he talked about it. And, uh, and he, he told me, I'll give you... Uh, as many mountain tops as you want, you can own it and set up your antennas if you'll bring that signal into my nation here uh, of Burundi. That's President Pierre in Kuditzitsa. He just recently passed away. God rest his soul. Good man of God. Great man of God. So I had an opportunity there. Uh, in Kenya, they offered me uh, uh, licenses uh, for fish. <laughs> like I could have like, you know, like couple square miles off the coast of Africa to, to disclaim as my own 
uh, all of it was, you know, part and parcel of, of uh, you know, uh, of trying to strum up business for these nations where we were, where we were coming to to preach and to minister. And so, and then in Uganda, there was so many different things, you know, whether it was farms or, or taking over the construction of roads, you know, we even had an opportunity to do that. You know, which can you imagine, you know, laying the pavement throughout all of East Africa, how much money you could make from something like that, or even oil reserves and all that kind of stuff. You know, the uh, oh, one time I had this high level meeting with these guys that were working with the government who wanted me uh, to represent them uh, because they had just been, <laughs> check this out, they had just been given uh, an enormous uh, amount of access to billions of dollars from the United Nations if they would coordinate uh, what they called carbon units, which is which is all part of this whole um, climate change thing that they call it now, global warming back mm. then, and the United Nations had created a fund for billions and billions of dollars uh, to clean up the the carbon emissions because we were warming the ozone, right? Well, when you go into the to the uh, nations that are not industrialized, like a China or a United States or even Western Europe, right, and, and the places where industry is, you go into the third third world nations of South and Central America and Africa, they don't have industry, they don't have big smokestacks pouring out soot into the air, right? So they have been issued a certain amount of carbon units, in other words, clean air. And, and this is how corrupt the system is. They needed someone to represent them to sell their air <laughs> on paper, right? So like if China wanted to buy a, a million carbon units so that it could get away with producing more carbon in the atmosphere, it would go buy Uganda's carbon units and apply it to their ledger so that they wouldn't be fined. Uh, I mean, it's such a scam, right? And so uh, I was offered this, you know, these, I mean, access to this kind of stuff. But you know where all of that emitted from was what you were talking about, Brother Jeremy. It all came from these prosperity preachers that came from the United States. And so it is no wonder that they, they buy that whole compromised uh, prosperity doctrine and distortions of the word from the ruling religious elite that have controlled the gospel. It's as if they've taken it captive. And they are the ones who guide it like Uzzah. They are the ones who keep it in the house of nobility, right, Abinadab. And it's led by Ahio, like we talked about, which his name means what? Fraternal brother, right? Or one who looks like a brother. So this is what we've seen happening over the generations, and it has now come in the midst of this global pandemic. The parallels are striking. I believe what we have seen since January up until this point, and like you said, the days are getting shorter, which to me is very symbolic of what's coming. But I think time is running out. I think that we are headed to incredible turbulent times. But we won't get into that. But I want to say this. I think what God is doing is what exactly happened during the time of David. He used David's good intentions to bring about an event that would literally strip away the ark from the old house. Take it away from the arm of the flesh, Uzzah. Take it away from fake brothers leading the, the, the oxen representing the false church and the new cart, which is a repackaged, uh, you know, uh, bright lights and whistles kind of gospel that is no gospel. And placing uh, the representation, a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top of it, 
in order to to control and maintain their position in the eye of of the religious public, which is what we've seen in a marriage between the evangelical community and po politics at this time. It's that whole class that's been from the moral majority, uh, you know, to the uh, you know to the uh, American Center for Law and Justice to to the big you know Pentecostal charismatic elite that are running and uh, rampant in the White House. I mean, all of it is Uzzah, Ahio, and Abinadab. And what God has done, I believe, is to strip that authority that they've taken to themselves from them. They just don't know it yet, but it's gone. And so this is why it's so important that we, that we focus on what King David did. Because though these events are so complicated and so intertwined and so pregnant with, with revelation, um, they're not easily discerned unless we walk in between the events and allow the Holy Spirit to show us these things. When they came to the threshing floor of Shidon, right, that's where destruction came. That's where scrutiny occurs. And I think that's what we've been witnessing 2020 is. All their false prophets in January, you know, they all came out with that, that cliche, you know, 2020, perfect vision. God's going to give me your vision, right? Well, I think it's quite the opposite. If you want to use that metaphor, they were talking about 2020. Yeah, it's the perfect vision and scrutiny of God on your ministries, and you have been weighed in the balance, and you've been found wanting, and God is taking his presence and your authority to govern that presence away from you and giving it to another, a man after his own heart, if you will, a King David-like company that has a sensitive heart and that desires the presence of God above all things to be with them in success, in failure, no matter what. They know one thing, like David would write in the 51st Psalm, take not your Holy Spirit from me, right? Yes. Like we said, he said, how shall the ark uh, how how will I bring the ark to me? I want to just throw one thing in here, and I probably shouldn't even open this this up, but I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, Brother Fernando, because this came to me today as I was, you know, we've been digging in this, so there's all kinds of stuff we're seeing, or in Brother Jeremy too. When we look at the onion, for lack of a better term, of revelation, because that's how revelation is, it's like an onion that's multi-layered. Just when you think you've, you've peeled away what can be peeled away, there's yet more to be peeled away. And in the events of, of the scripture, especially as it pertains to Revelation past, present, and future, all these kinds of events, especially when they involve the Ark of the Covenant, which is what? A representation of the very throne room of God. Hmm? Today I saw something that I had never really considered before, and we were not going to get into it deeply, but I think what we're witnessing here, brothers, is, is a portrayal of, of the Isaiah 14 incident. Do you know what I'm talking about, Brother Fernand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you refresh my mind, for sure. In Isaiah 14, I think, you know, what happens in Isaiah 14 is that the enemy himself, who is a caretaker of the presence of God, the anointed cherub that covers, he then seeks to assert himself to a higher level. He seeks to yes. go into the yes. heavenly yes. Jerusalem, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. 
is it possible? And I know this is for the more <laughs> uh, advanced kind of prophetic insights, but is it possible the house of Abinadab, Uzzah, and Ahio, it, it, it is, it's representing uh, in measure the, the, the fall of Lucifer himself, who tried to take a glory to himself like, like Ahio and, and Uzzah did. Are they a foreshadow of the Antichrist too? You know, all of these things, when you begin to look at it that way, begin to open the scripture up to possibilities of consideration in places that we had never seen things before. Any thoughts on that? All yeah, right. Absolutely. I think, I think, I think the pattern, pattern fits there. Um, the Holy Spirit is always uh, using the same pattern that he reveals at the end throughout scripture. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I would definitely uh, say that that pattern holds true uh, with these two particular characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one oozes a, a, a strength, right? That's the Antichrist himself. Uh, and he sits in the temple of God, right? <laughs> Proclaiming himself to be God. Yeah, and then right. Pius is the one who leads the ark, is, is like the fraternal brother, right? He's like the false prophet, right? He's a but, religious man, right. Yes. It's really interesting, and it comes out of the house of nobility, which is the spirit behind uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, if you can see it, because it's the dragon that gives the Antichrist his power, right? And it, and it's and it's the and it's the dragon who gives the power to the false prophet. So these are very. I know this is out there for some of you, but this is very very interesting reflection that the Lord opens up to us in the prophetic word. So let's just move along. We'll maybe we'll talk about that in another day. But all of this would become key components. How shall I bring the ark to me? They're, they're all the things we're talking about are key components that the Holy Spirit used to teach King David. He takes the ark to Obed-Edom's house, and it's there for three months. And that's prophetic. Uh, we'll discuss this in the coming days, but but let's look at, at how David learned what to do before we go there. We're, we're going to leave the ark there still. <laughs> and uh, King David didn't return the ark to Abinadab's house, which is very interesting, right? We talked about that a little bit. Already we begin to see that he's beginning to understand something. He was already given an insight when he made the choice and the decision to give the ark into the house of the family of Obed-Edom, right? To Obed-Edom's house. That's where he took the ark. And like we discussed yesterday, wouldn't you think that, at least I would, oh man, I blew this, right? I mean, maybe God didn't want us to take the ark out of Abinadab's house. <laughs> That's what I would think. Yeah. But, David, but David didn't. David heard the spirit instantly because it says that he he didn't bring the ark to himself to the city of David, but he carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And we talked about the type of that, Gittite being, uh, being of Gath, and the particular city that Obed-Edom lived in was called Gath-Ramon. Remember that? We talked about that in, in Joshua chapter 19, verse 45 or 46, somewhere in there. And what Gath-Ramon literally means? Right, uh, it it means the the place of the wine press or the vat of the wine press and the pomegranate. Remember, <laughs> and we talked yeah. about how yeah. that 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 represents 
the wine vat where they collect the wine represents the spirit and the pomegranate, which is what the rabbis say is the fruit of God because it contains 613 seeds, which represents the Torah or the 613 commandments that can be found in the five books of Moses. So in that, we saw what the Holy Spirit was having David do was take the presence of God away from one house and bring it to a house that is called the wine vat and the pomegranate. The wine vat, which holds the wine, representing the spirit, the pomegranate representing the word. The presence is coming to them who worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what we see there. And that's what David did. David functioning as the man, David, but then David also transitioning into the great high priest, the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom he brings his presence to. He took it away from one, and he brings it to another. It's the same pattern as we'll get into probably tomorrow or the next day that we'll see in the tremendous prophetic pattern that unfolds and what's being prophesied to us in these stories. In our times, what was what once was also, uh, you know, used to be like we were just talking about, it's all being judged. They've had the presence of God in our country. Like we were talking about, I, I gave you that that lengthy descriptions of, of what was offered to us, my family and I. It was, you know, it really wasn't a temptation. Once in a while, I'd be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this could be worth millions of dollars. But, you know, it's like, okay, no, I don't, that ain't what I'm about, so... But, but you know, they, they've had the presence of God. They, they've been controlling the ark for too long. And, and like you said, Brother Fernando, yesterday, they've brought it out on a new cart. It's the big show. You know, it's an irreverent display. That's what they've been doing. Right. Right. And in effect, the Lord was saying, these people cannot come to Jerusalem in control of my presence. My, my. And if we are living in the last days, and we are closer to our heavenly King David's Jerusalem than we've ever been before, and the same events that happened back then when the ark was being brought to Jerusalem the first time, I believe they're being replayed right before our eyes right now. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? The, The ark of God cannot come again in the hands of the of the of the of the of the descendants of Saul, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's you know it's 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 a new thing that God is doing. It, they had the opportunity. It stayed there for twenty years. Nobody touched it in his reign. You know, and so m- many times we make that mistake uh, as, as servants of God. We we try to involve others. That God God didn't tell us to. <laughs> yeah, you know, in in handling these precious things, you know, and we do a lot of things by committee, by meetings, or or or, or just by reputation. And as I said before, we never check their hands if they've been washed. We never, you know, uh, see in, in in the first time that he was David was bringing it back. It like you said, it involved many that were from Saul's camp, right? Yeah. And in this one, it would be who got appointed, which was the Levites, the priest. And yeah. so, uh, no, I, I just wanted to point that out. 
No, and that's good. And and again, that's uh, it was it was the process and the order by which he began to learn. He had to be willing <clears throat> to 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 see the blessing bestowed on someone else. <laughs> you know, uh, he was willing to do that in order to learn, right? In order to say, okay, I need to learn something here, because he's just—he's he, not just any old guy, you know. He's the king over a sovereign nation, and his choices affect everybody. And that's one of the things, because we're just looking at it from the humanity of it. That's one of the things God was trying to communicate to him at a very deep level, which is what he goes on to say in chapter fourteen, verse two. Right? Can you read verse two to us in chapter fourteen, brother Jeremy? Yes. And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people Israel. There you go. The point of the matter was that he began to understand was the kingdom was all about the people and that it was mm -hmm. vital that he understand that. You know, that's a principle in the New Testament, right? When it talks about leadership, it says, uh, wherefore that he, he descended in the lower parts of the earth, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men, gifts to men, right? Some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? For the perfecting of the saints. We are a gift, that is, the ministers are, I'm just a brother, but those ministers out there, you're a gift to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not a gift to you. <laughs> Amen. You're a gift to them. And, and you're, <laughs> but it's the uh, other way around. <laughs> I know. We use them the as a part. gift. As a, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, God, I don't know. The, 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 the flock of Christ would do just fine without you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, they they, they don't need you. Yeah, that's it, you man. Know, per don't se. need you. That's right. Um, they're they're a gift. That's what Paul said, right? Uh, yeah. That you know, you know, some say you're of Apollos, some of Cephas, some of Paul. But hey, all things are yours. You are uh, uh, the one who's yeah. who's of extreme yeah. importance here. We're just gifts yeah. to you. That's right? right. But we 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 twisted that. You know, we we yeah. made the preacher the the important gift. And the most important thing in the church, that is unbiblical. Yes. Completely. Completely and unbiblical. That, that, and, and that's like, Brother Fernando, before I forget this thought, because you made me think of it in verse 2, that's one of the things he learned in mm -hmm. seeing that this house of nobility, the judgment that fell on Uzzah and Ohio, and the taking of the ark from that house, he learned the attitude. Because he perceived that I'm lifted up for one purpose, that's for God's people, right? Which is something I learned. We were all looking to these dudes, right? Uzzah, Ahio, the house of Abinadab, as if they were something. But that's one thing he learned, is that, that my kingdom was lifted on high because of the Lord's people, Israel. I'm meant to be a servant, <laughs> not a dictator. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, and again, I, I, this challenges the the belief of most of the modern day church and, and even people that might be listening. You know, um, what have we done of uh, the gifts of God that are given to the body of Christ, the fivefold ministry, 
You know, the truth of the matter is uh, we're lacking other gifts in the body of Christ. We have the pastor. That's one of the gifts. But, you know, the the early church was built upon the, the doctrines of the apostles and prophets. You want to know why the church is where it's at? We have too mm. many pastors leading the church. <laughs> and we don't have apostles and prophets mm-hmm. who who, who know how to build and who give vision to the church. Why? Well, that's, that's, because yeah, that's, the, that's, because that's, they bring correction. Yes. They bring correction to the body of Christ. And a lot of modern-day pastors with the mega churches don't want those kind of gifts in their churches. Oh, no. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. No, that's good what you just said there, because that brings us again to chapter 14, verse 1. We're asking the question, uh, you know, David asked that question, how do I bring the ark to me? It's so fascinating because what's about to transpire for him, every single event is God instructing him. And it's really incredible because David has eyes to see and he has a heart to understand I don't know the I don't know how to how to describe this adequately, brother. Maybe you can help me out here. But it's absolutely amazing to me when you really begin to meditate on the kind of person this great king is, David, upon whose throne our heavenly Lord Jesus Christ will sit for, for a thousand years, man, in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning in the millennial reign of Christ. He's going to sit on David's throne in the earth. So it is fascinating to me, and it's a level of, of de- uh, <laughs> I don't even like to use the word development, although his whole life was was an amalgamation of events and, 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 and testings and trials, which, which made up the whole of who he was. But there's a big difference between going through stuff and going through stuff yielded to the Holy Spirit to create within us such an acute sense of God's hand in the events of our life as to even translate into into a a prophetic level of 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 <laughs> of a static utterance that flows to the end of history and the second coming of the Lord. It's incredible what David saw. Right. Because Right in verse one, can you read verse one, Brother Jeremy? He begins yes. to learn even more. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him a house. Okay, so we were talking, <laughs> this is going to take a lot. I don't think we're going to be able to get through all this, but look, but we'll just start with it. Okay, so he's got the ark, right? He's gone through this traumatic event. Who knows where all the rest of Israel is? I know they're not there. I mean, they kind of all, like, went away. You know, he's got his army around him. He's in Jerusalem. He's sitting in a very humble house. The questions going through his mind are, we have to we have to only go by what the scripture says is his last question he asked out loud, which is, how am I going to bring the ark to us, to me, to my city? I need God's presence. And he only understood God's presence in the form of the ark. What God was about to reveal to him in the subsequent events that were about to unfold is that my presence is cannot be housed or 
or wrapped up in a thing. Right. Because my presence is spirit. That's why the last thing he goes through in chapter 14 is when he asks God about going to war. He says, don't go to war when you hear the sound of my spirit, right? Going, then you'll know. So I'm in the wind. <laughs> I'm in the sound in the mulberry tree. I'm not in that little box. I did right. that box as a representation, as we know from the book of Hebrews, to represent something, a miniature type of a heavenly reality. And what's more important to me is not the letter of the law, <clears throat> right, but the spirit of the law. And what I'm trying to express to you is such a deep level of spirit. It was an outrageous concept that, that God could dwell in the hearts of men. The prophets would talk about it later, but David begins to understand it. And God begins by how he removed the ark from this this uh this this house that that had 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 come to enjoy the trappings and the you know and, and the regalia of being the house that controls the ark to stripping it from them and bringing it to a type of those who worship him in spirit and truth over Edom the Gittite his house to then being in Jerusalem and it says in verse one that Hiram sends messengers to David. This is as if, if you can see it, God begins to reach out to David through others. <laughs> That's why the Holy Spirit's very particular about how he worded it, messengers. And, and, and God was sending him messages. Uh, you know, this is really hard to describe because it is how it is. I mean, you've... <laughs> That's a profound statement, right? It is. Oh, it, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Great philosopher. Yeah, that was deep, yeah. man. That was deep. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, it is how it is, though, man. I mean, that's how God talks to us. I mean, how many times have you and I been through events, you, you listening, and, and then it's only later that you look back on the event and go, wow, God was trying to talk to me then, <laughs> right? I mean, have you ever been through that? I mean, you just kind of go, I didn't get it at first, but it was God, right? But here we have David, uh, and messengers are sent to him. They're, they're, they take the form of the Spirit of God, really, moving through them. Yes. And he sends messengers and timbers of cedar with masons and carpenters to build him a house. Mm. What Brother Fernando just said was very powerful there. If, if you take it out to the gifts of the church, he talked about apostles and prophets being the builders, right? That's so true. Bro. But here we see in this case that what in the masons and the carpenters, what what David saw was was that that specialists were needed Hallelujah. to build a house. <laughs> Hallelujah! Not this flamboyant you know, self-entitled house of Abinadab, but specialists. And he began to cause him to understand to build a house was first and foremost going to be necessary. It was something that David hadn't even done yet. He hadn't even prepared a place. He was just going to go get the ark, right? Mm. We think we can just bring God's presence to us without <laughs> constructing a proper place in our own heart for him. It ain't going to happen. But that's another day. 
But here David saw something. He saw in in the in God moving on this Gentile king to send him masons and carpenters. In his studies, he then goes and discovers that we need Aaron and his sons and 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 the Levites. They are the masons and the carpenters. I didn't bring up the masons and the carpenters, and I didn't build God the house. How he saw that is extraordinary to me. He knew it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. He needed specialists. That's why he wrote, uh, read what he said in in, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 3 and 4, would you, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. Amen. So that's his masons and carpenters, right? Uh, the house. I mean, that, that's, that, that, help me if you can help me here, because he saw God reaching out to him. And at the same time, uh, by, by the act of this king, he saw God reaching out to him. He didn't, it, it, somewhere along the line, it wasn't the king of Tyre uh, that was sending him stuff. It was God. He saw God in it. He saw God's hand in it, and he saw God's instruction in it. Brothers, that is a sensitivity to the Holy Ghost that is absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> Praise God. Brother David, man. Quality. <laughs> That that quality, Brother Marty, was developed through his mistakes, where now you begin to see the words, and David inquired of the Lord. Yes. He he, he began to understand, I'm not going to do nothing. <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. move one inch. I'm not going to mm-hmm. build nothing unless the Lord tells me to and how to do it. And, and mm-hmm. all of that came, you know, speaking about the, you know, the process of David. Is is through, you know, failures or mistakes that that even though they were well intentioned, he quickly learned something. I got to inquire of the Lord. Yes, you know, and and I think it's all connected to that too, right? Is that absolutely he, he began to perceive, he began to give order, okay, because he had inquired of the Lord. Mhm. That's good, and and <laughs> and in essence, you know, what we could also say is is uh, that it's not enough to have feelings and emotions, right? Which is what we have running rampant in the church today. I sense this. I feel that. I've had this drink. You know what I mean? (laughs) David. Yeah, I feel feel somebody has a headache who's listening today. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't have a headache, right? Who doesn't have a back problem? Anyway, I'm just being facetious. Yes, go ahead. But, but, But my point is, is that when David begins to act, he acts on the word of God. Right, the sons of Aaron, the Levites. You know, he begins to tell them the word of God. You know, he he didn't build it like he did uh, at first on emotion and pageantry and music and you know uh, stepping back and and doing deference to the house of Abinadab. All that stuff, man, he learned. And, and and then God sends messengers to him that he recognizes it as being the hand of God. And that's why verse 14, chapter 14, verse 2, it says David perceived, right? And David perceived. 
he perceived, <laughs> hallelujah, he perceived that the Lord had confirmed him as a king over Israel, which lets us know there were doubts. In all this favor, uh, David received the peace of God at that moment. You know, and, and, and he perceived his authority was still present. His anointing was still there, which is a, which is an incredible thing. David, as, as marvelous and awesome, and yes, it is right, because it's, it's a representation of my presence according to the book of Hebrews, according to uh, what Moses received instruction in order to build it. Uh, I inspired Bezalel to construct this ark from where uh, the presence of God comes on the Day of Atonement, so forth and so on. But they haven't had a Day of Atonement for 70 years, man. <laughs> right? I mean, after it was taken captive and then, you know, it makes its way to all these different houses and then it, it ends up in Abinadab's house. They haven't been going in once a year with the high priest to the Holy of Holies and Moses' tabernacle. It's been 70 years, quite possibly. 50, 60, 70 years by this point. So as much as that is, is really cool, you know, it's, it's as if he, he's saying, your authority will not come and your blessing will not come because of a piece of furniture, David. I have given you my authority. I have placed my anointing on you. And settle that in your heart. That's why David perceived that God had made him the king and that he wasn't lacking but that there was proper order and proper understanding about all things which he ends up gaining. He perceived his authority was still there, and he was to be a servant king, right? Because like we just talked about earlier, what you were talking about, Brother Fernando, too, was, was uh, his kingdom was lifted up precisely because of the people of Israel, because of, his, of God's people, God's children. He was to be a servant king. He's now beginning to function as the type of Christ who came to serve, right, before he reigned. Pretty intense. And what today's leaders uh, are not, <laughs> the Abinadab house, if you will, um, they've created kingdoms for themselves. They're, they're not the servant king, right? They're not that. That shepherd's heart. God's shepherds serve God's people, even as the Lord Jesus before he reigned. That's what we were saying. And now uh, we come to uh, King David begins to be fruitful, right? Can you read that in verse 3, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And David took more wives at Jerusalem, and David begat more sons and daughters. Now, before we get into the sons and daughters, which will only take about five minutes, give us give us another couple of minutes here. After David perceives that he's king, word had reached the Philistines in verse 8 and 9. Can you read that? Chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. And David heard of it. And went out against them, and the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley in the valley of Rephaim. Yes. Now check this out. Once David has perceived himself to be king over all Israel, word had reached the Philistines that he had now been embraced not as just the king of Judah, but as as the sovereign king recognized by powerful kingdoms from around the world, including Hiram, who was one of the wealthiest 
kings of the day. He ruled over the, Leb the Lebanese territory, Lebanon of today. It says that when the Philistines heard that he was anointed king over all Israel, then they come up to seek his life. The Philistines heard that David was king over all Israel. And what this teaches us, brother, is that as David is, is, is being promoted by God, and if you do your historical study, you'll see that the Philistines didn't bother David as long as he was just a small town, so to speak, you know, regional kind of a king over Judah. But once his kingdom expanded to encompass the entirety of the promised land and the borders with which he would expand it over his rulership over the 40 years he ruled, it now got the devil's attention, brother. Because he was entering into a new level with each progressive understanding he was gaining. He was entering into a new level until we get to verse 8, right? Which is, they hear he's anointed over all Israel. Now the devil's concerned. Now listen to me. So it is now in our times, brother. This is what I think is going to happen and what is happening. When David, Like I said, when David was just the ruler over, over Judah, there was no war. But in this moment of promotion by the Spirit of God, then the attack comes. Because he's closer to having the presence transferred into his control more than ever. And events are testifying to that fact. We need to understand that in this transition that we're experiencing right now, promotion to the humble of God is coming. And you need to prepare. You need to seek God like David did. And, and, and maybe you'll get some understanding as to, as to what's been actually taking place. It's a fight. Because the devil knows, just like the Philistines knew. It didn't bother them as long as he was, you know, off to the side. And, yeah, he's got his little territory there. But now it is obvious that God is with him and has promoted him. And the presence is coming to him. It's only days away. And he is growing and maturing and seeing all sorts of things. It's then, it says in verse 8, when the Philistines heard he was anointed king over all Israel, then they came to seek his life. They came to get him. The devil was now concerned. <laughs> See, so what you're going through, thanks to God out there, maybe you're dealing with, I don't even want to start a list. Because it's, it's all of us are, if you'll be honest. All of us are going through stuff. And, and it's because something is happening. If we emerge out of it in the right way and God help us to do so, the presence of God will be fully in our house and in our homes and amongst our families. If we fail to do so, the consequences are, are, are enormous. But we're not going to fail. Because he that has begun a good work in you he watches over it to perform it. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. So do not let the trial, the test, whatever it may be, the mental plagues, the you know, whatever it may be, it is because God is bringing his presence to us. And, and the result of that is going to be a gathering of the Philistines in the Valley of Rephaim. <laughs> That's what's happening, man. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, uh, we'll just leave it at that. But let's just finish with this. 
consider what what we've what we learned prophetically uh, through this, and and what David learned is astounding, because the Holy Spirit recorded in a list what David learned in those three months by all the events, and and the list that where the Holy Spirit chose to interject the list of sons in the Book of Chronicles gives us an understanding of what David actually learned and what was revealed to him. And why it's important is because a David company or a David-like church, remember what we read yesterday in the book of Amos chapter 9, where it says in the last days he's going to restore the tabernacle of David that's been fallen down, right? He's going to rebuild the old places of the tabernacle of David. He's going to sew up the breaches thereof. And, and and the heathen, which are called by his name, will come into it. I mean, it's it's what's Thank happening. God. Yes, yes. See? And so what he goes on to name his sons is what we're going to understand here really quick. And let's just go through this really quick. Brother Jeremy, what's the name of the first son? Just read it to us, verse 3 through read, – read the whole read the whole list to us, 3 through 7. Okay. And David took more wives at Jerusalem. And David begot more sons and daughters. Now these are the names of his children, which he, which he had in Jerusalem: Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, and Ibhar, and Elishua, and Elphelet, and Noga, and Nepheg, and Japhia, and Elishama. And Bel Bel Laida, and Eliphelet, Eliphelet. Yes, that's where the Holy Spirit had the chronicler, the Book of Chronicles, the one who wrote Chronicles, stick the list of the uh, of the sons of David, a total of thirteen. Now listen, David named these boys, and in the list. It's incredible what we see here. And we're going to go down the list. The first one was Shamua. And what that means is that which is renowned. And if you look at the root word, it goes on to say, uh, became desolate. What David was having revealed to him in the naming of the first son of the list is he's he's re- beginning to reveal what what he learned. He named his son what actually happened when he brought the ark out. He said, that which was renowned became desolate. That's what happened. Abinadab's house was renowned for being the caretakers of the ark. But at the threshing floor of Shidon, when Uzzah died and everyone scattered, that which was renowned became desolate. He then names the next son Shobab. And and he reveals why. Because the word Shobab means to be rebellious. And and the root word of Shobab is to be apostate or idolatrous. And so what he learned from the incident with Uzzah and the ark was that what God revealed to him is I took it from them because even though they were renowned, they needed to become desolate because they are a rebellious and apostate and idolatrous people. That's how they that's how they conducted themselves. And and as we looked at before, the ark was in in Baalah. Kirjath-Jerim, which is the mountain or the hill of the high places of the forest, the mountain of the sorceress. That's why God removed it from there. And that's why he's removing the control 
that's been exercised over the gospel in our country. He's taking it from those people and we're, and we're, and he's giving it to another like Obed Edom, like King David, like his sons. Listen, after that, he says, he learns this. He, he, King David then reveals what the Lord was going to do. He's going to take away the rebellious, the apostate, and the idolatrous. He's going to make that kind of a house desolate. And then he names his next son Nathan, which means uh, a giver. And the next son in the list is Solomon. He said he's going to remove and cause a desolation to come to the house of renown because of their rebellion, their apostate behavior, and the idolatry by which they've infected Israel for 22 years. And it is God himself that's going to, by doing that, he's going to be the giver of peace. And he brought peace. So the next thing that he does is he names the next son, Ipsar, right? And, and the word, <laughs> the word Ipsar uh, literally means Jehovah chooses. How is he going to bring peace? How is he going to give us peace? He's going to do it through someone that Jehovah chooses. That's what that's what uh, that's what Ibhar means. Jehovah chooses. So what he's saying is, God was revealing to me prophetically. Basically, that's why he names his sons this way. That a house of renown was going to become desolate. There were a rebellious house, an idolatrous house, an apostate house, and God Himself is going to give us peace. That is Nathan and Solomon. And how is He going to do that? He names his next son Ibhar which means he's going to do it by who Jehovah chooses. It will be someone that the Lord chooses. And then the very next son he has, he names him Elishua, which means my God is salvation. Whom Jehovah chooses is going to be David's salvation and our salvation. And he's going to be El Palat as well. That was the next son. He's going to be the God of our deliverance my God of deliverance. How? The next son, Noga, through brightness. Brightness will be, and his next son was Nefeg. He's saying he's going to be brightness and he's going to sprout or be born. That's what Nefeg means, to sprout. He's going to be born. And and then his next son he named Japhia. And this, this brightness that's going to be born, Japhia, is what he named his next son, he will shine forth. He will be a light. That's what that literally means. He's going to shine forth to be a light. And then after that, he had, <laughs> he, he like transforms after this one who is brightness, who will be born, who will shine and be a light. It's almost as if he comes all the way to the end of the world. Because then he, he has three sons that he finishes naming. And he says, uh, the ones, the the last three uh, are, are are this. He he, he names uh, what is it? It's Elishama. Elishama means the Almighty has heard something. Uh, the next son was Biliada, and the Lord knows something. And then the last son that he names is Elifalet, which means he is the God of my deliverance. And the two root words that are connected to Elifalet mean. The mighty God, hallelujah, will carry us away and make a way of us to escape. That's what he named his kids. 
So he literally said this. He said, this house of renown is going to become desolate, Shuma. It is a rebellious house. It is an apostate and idolatrous house, Shabbat. But God, Nathan, is going to be a giver of Solomon, peace. It's going to be that the peace comes by Ibhar, whom Jehovah chooses. And whom Jehovah chooses is going to be Elishua, my God and my salvation. He is El Palat, my God of deliverance. He is brightness, Noga. And he will be born, Nafeg, he will sprout. And Jafia, he will shine forth and he will be a light. And in the end, when his people cry out to him, because the Philistines will gather round about his church and Israel, he will be Elishama. The Almighty has heard us. He will be Liada. And the Lord knows what we're enduring. But in the end, he will be Eli Falet, the God of our deliverance, the mighty God who will come and carry us away. Mama. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. That's what that's what David learned, man. Is it any wonder <laughs> he's a man after God's own heart? And yet he calls the Lord Jesus his God, the God of his salvation, the God of his deliverance, the brightness, the one that was to be born, the light, the shining one, the God who will hear when we cry, and he will come and carry us away. That's the rapture of the church at the end of time when the Philistines gather around and it looks like they're coming to seek his church, which is coming right now, brothers. It's happening begun on an increase but we're going to need to lay hold to these things and understand what's revealed in this most wonderful tale of bringing the presence of God to Jerusalem we're coming to Jerusalem God's coming to carry us away just like King David would go to the house where those that worship him in spirit and truth right Gath Ramon he's going to come and bring them with the presence because we are that temple of the Holy Spirit and he's going to carry us away to our heavenly Jerusalem because we know the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that bright one that was born and became a light that lights every man that comes into the world. Praise the Lord. Hopefully we can get that ark out of Obed-Edom's house tomorrow. If the Lord wills. <laughs> Amen. And you, the gospel writing in, in names. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's just amazing. It never seems to amaze me how the Lord just stop amazing me how the Lord is and <laughs> how He touches His servants and He's given us a message to prove. And uh, yes, we're seeing the gospel here in the end times in the Old Testament, uh, in the life of David through the ark. God is going to restore the tabernacle of David. We pray that you've been blessed. We pray that you've been blessed by this uh, study. Uh, this podcast and I pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue to attempt to bring the <laughs> Ark of the Covenant <laughs> out of the house of Eden to David's house but you amen. know in this process amen we're getting closer but there's still much more to learn and glean from we pray the Lord bless you the Lord keep you and as always keep looking up <laughs>